You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and today I'm switching gears on you a little bit. I'm calling an audible because I saw something earlier this week about a current Georgia football player, a prominent current Georgia football player that, in my opinion, was just so outrageous that I I just had to come on here and address it on the show today. It's also something that I know a lot of you saw because I've heard from a lot of you about this. So... I found it outrageous myself. I know a lot of you guys did too based on the feedback I got from you guys on social media and via email. So yeah, we had to come on and address it here on the podcast today. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm sure some of you are sitting there listening kind of cross-eyed thinking like, what is this guy even talking about? Well, if that's you, what we're talking about is an article that was published by Pro Football Focus, PFF which is actually a site that we subscribe to. And we actually use some of their stats, some of the numbers that they put out and publish. We use them on this show. That's why we have a subscription to their site. You guys know we like to go beyond the surface and PFF, Pro Football Focus, kind of allows us to do that. allows us to bring you guys some advanced stats and some more insight into teams and players. Well, Pro Football Focus published their ranking of every quarterback in the FBS, the old school D1. And given that, yes, Georgia, we are an FBS school, yes, of course, JT Daniels was on that list, as you would imagine. But despite getting at least a certain degree of hype about potentially maybe being a first-round draft pick after this season, or maybe even a Heisman Trophy candidate, or maybe even just the guy that gives Georgia its best shot at a national title since 1980, well... Despite that that hype coming into this season, JT Daniels was not ranked inside Pro Football Focus's top three quarterbacks, nor is he ranked inside their top five quarterbacks, or their top 10 quarterbacks, or their top 15, not even inside their top 20 quarterbacks in the FBS. In fact, Pro Football Focus has ranked JT Daniels as the number 20 three overall quarterback in the FBS 
coming into the 2021 season. I did not stutter there. Number 23. Behind guys like Bryce Young from Alabama, who has, I think, 22 snaps in his career last year at Alabama. Behind a guy like Emory Jones of Florida, who's never started a game in his life at the college level. Behind C.J. Stroud at Ohio State, who's never, ever, ever taking a college snap in his life. Not to mention behind the quarterbacks at programs like Kent State, Coastal Carolina, and Grace McCall is a pretty good quarterback. Give him some credit there. Behind guys at Arkansas State, Nevada. I mean, damn, that's some straight up disrespect. So I had to, guys. I had to come on here, address it today. I had to move this week's schedule around a little bit to talk about this on the show. I, and honestly, normally I, I don't let things like this bother me. It's like, who cares what, what Pro Football Focus has to say? I, I really don't care. Like, it doesn't really have any tangible effect on what's going to happen this season. But sometimes when you see things that are just so outrageous that there's that you feel like there has to be some ulterior motive here, either that or it's just a complete lack of understanding of the sport of football. And again, honestly, I, I know. Who cares? I know. I know. I know. I'm giving them what they want. They're, I'm giving them the attention that they crave. I understand that. But sometimes, you know, when you run a college football podcast, a Georgia-specific college football podcast, and you see things like this that are directly related to the program that you know and love, that you follow with every fiber of your being, and you see something this outrageous, it's hard to not at least just address it. And I know, again, we say this all the time, we're just a mom and pop podcast. We understand who we are in the grand scheme of things, that no one really cares what we have to say, and that's fine. But sometimes you just have to take up for your guys. And we try to be as objective as we possibly can. I know a lot of people out there just call us homers, and that's fine. Like, yeah, we're, yeah, through this, we're a homer podcast. I mean, yes, we rerun a Georgia podcast. We do not hide the fact that we are massive Georgia fans. That's what I live and die for. But we do also pride ourselves on not being necessarily blind loyalists. Because I try my best. I try to be as objective as I can. I'll tell you when I think we're really good. I'll tell you when I think our players are awesome. They deserve more love. But I'll also tell you when I think some of our players maybe are overhyped or aren't as good as people think they are or need to improve. All those things. We try to be as objective as we can. So I know this kind of flies in the face of that, but sometimes when you see something this outrageous, and this, I have no problem with people criticizing JT Daniels. We'll talk more about that later. I have no problem with that, but sometimes it's just beyond the pale. I mean, we're talking barely inside the top 25 quarterbacks in all of FBS. I mean, come on, it's, it's just outrageous. So I had to come on here and address that today. So what I'm going to do is move the schedule this week around just a little bit so we can fit this in. What we're going to do is we're going to move the top 10 most wanted recruits episode that I was originally going to have for you guys today that I teased earlier in the week. That's not going anywhere. That's going to happen, but we're just going to push that back to later this week and push the South Carolina Scout and the Enemy episode to next week. I still want to get the 10 most wanted episode in this week because some of the guys that are on that list who might or might not be on that list have commitment dates coming up either this weekend or early next week. So I want to get that episode in before all of that potentially goes down. So that's kind of what we're doing here, just moving things around a little bit so we can discuss this pro football focus quarterback ranking today. So let's get to that. Let's get back to the pro football focus quarterback ranking. And I do want to say a few things about pro football focus here at the outset. I I want to start there just by giving you my thoughts on pro football focus in general. 
we've kind of alluded to this a couple of times through the past year or so, but as I said earlier, yes, we at the Glory UGA podcast, we have a subscription to their premium stats site. We get a lot of stats from Pro Football Focus. It's hard to find advanced stats and sites that publish them as regularly and as extensively as as Pro Football Focus does. So yes, we have a subscription to their premium stats site. Yes, I think those advanced stats are largely, generally speaking, more insightful than the kind of old school run the mill. You think think about this like passing yards, passing touchdowns, total yards gained each game, total yards allowed, all that stuff. I do believe that. I think those stats are more insightful than the old school stuff, what they give us. But saying that, I also don't think the data that Pro Football Focus provides is perfect. There are some obvious flaws associated with it. One of the big things I've had an issue with with them is that they have major issues with operational definitions. And if you have ever taken a research class or or do anything professionally with research, you know what I'm talking about. I do this stuff for a living, so I have to know it. I know this might sound like a foreign language to those of you who don't have to deal with this kind of stuff. I understand that. But I want to at least lay out kind of my issue sometimes with some of their stats and their data and how they go about compiling all that. But again, I just think they have major issues with operational definitions. And I think that really messes with the reliability of some of their numbers, some of the data that they put out there. So for those of you not familiar with what I'm talking about here, an operational definition is essentially like it's the idea that you need to specifically describe how something, like whatever it is that you're measuring, you need to describe how it's going to be observed and how it's going to be measured. And for example, let me give you an example here. One of the advanced stats that Pro Football Focus publishes for quarterbacks is quote unquote big time throws. Okay, that sounds great. Big time throws. How many big time throws does quarterback make? Well, there's a couple issues with that. What exactly is a big time throw? They don't really define that. How do you know it when you see a big time throw? How do you measure it? What is the criteria? They don't really give you any answers there. So going back to operational definitions is basically how you replicate research. If you don't have good operational definitions, that research can't be replicated. And here's another example, like that's out of the the football world. If you're, let's say just, I don't know, for example, if you're doing research on the hypothesis that girls smile more than boys, okay, well, you have to specifically define what a smile is and how you will observe and measure what a smile is. So when Pro Football Focus throws out stats on big time throws and and quote unquote turnover worthy throws and quote unquote accurate passes, that are all more qualitative in nature, but doesn't exactly specify what constitutes a big time throw or a turnover worthy throw and how it's going to be measured. To me, it's very flawed data because again, it's not replicable. What one employee crunching numbers for a pro football focus might call a big time throw. Well, it might not be considered a big time throw by another employee who's watching the same play if there are not some more specific parameters set on that. It's just sloppy. It's just sloppy data. That's what it comes down to for me. And some of you might not care about that. A lot of people don't. They just take those numbers and say, sure, yeah, look at these numbers. But again, as someone who deals with that stuff professionally, it leads me to be very skeptical of some of the numbers that they do put out there. What I, what I do believe in more so 
with pro football focus, I put more credence in their more quantitative stats, like depth of target, average time to throw, things like that when it comes to quarterback stats, things that you can actually measure, like their numerical values we're talking about here, or things like the number of 15 plus yard passes surrendered by a, a DB, or the number of 20 plus yard receptions by a receiver, you know, those kind of things that you can like actually tangibly measure because we're talking about numerical values here. I put more credence in those numbers coming out of pro football focus. And and honestly, even in their overall grades for players, I don't ever really know how to feel about that because there's not much transparency. What are they even talking about? What exactly goes into those grades? Am I supposed to take somebody's word for it? Somebody sit there and watches a game and is just taking notations and marking things down? Like, what are they looking for? What goes into those grades? What formula are you using? Are you using a formula? Like I, I have no idea. I don't know how to answer those questions. So that leads me to be very skeptical of some of those things that are more qualitative in nature. So to me, well, I guess what I'm saying is with some of their stats, there's just so much, there's too much left up to individual interpretation. There's too much variance for you to rely exclusively on their stats and their grades to determine an individual player's performance, in my opinion, okay? And I'll... Am I saying to completely ignore pro football focus and their numbers? No, I am not saying that. Absolutely not. Again, we use some of their numbers on our show. Part of that's because there's, it's just kind of the best that you can get. It's not perfect, but it's better. To, it's still better to me than like saying, oh yeah, well, this quarterback threw for 350 yards a game. It's like, okay, yeah, well, he threw 50 times a game and there's so much more that goes into it than that, all right? So I like those advanced stats, even if they're not perfect. I like them more than just the old school stats that we've had to rely on for so long. And I think the more qualitative numbers that they put out, they, they can be very insightful. I think they can be insightful, but you just got to take it with a grain of salt. I just struggle with the qualitative stuff sometimes and because of their issues with operational definitions. And I, I guess I, I think their numbers should be part of the picture if you're trying to gauge how, how good a player is and, and measure their performance. I, I think their numbers and their data can be part of the picture, but I would just caution you and say that they shouldn't be used as the entire picture, all right? So I'm gonna get off that soapbox for a second. I just wanna put that out there, give you my thoughts on pro, on pro Football Focus. I know a lot of you are probably saying, well, hey, Tyler, you guys give us the PFF numbers all the time, and here you are ripping them saying that they don't know what they're talking about, and that just so happens to be when they're not that high on one of Georgia's players. I, I, can, I can hear some people saying that, saying, oh, well, you're just being biased. You give us all these numbers, tell us to believe in them. And then when they go against Georgia in some way, shape or form, or one of our players, then all of a sudden you don't buy into them anymore. So I just wanted to put that out there. I've kind of alluded to that in the past, but I want to be maybe a little bit more upfront with that. I just want to put that out there. But let's get back to the quarterback rankings. As for these quarterback rankings, honestly, my big issue with their quarterback rankings was that there was just so much inconsistency. Like, like for some of the players, yeah, they relied on their number, on Pro Football Focus's numbers, on their grades. For others, they said, well, they, they didn't grade out as high as the other guys, but it was because of this, it was because of that. They made excuses for them. And then for other guys, they honestly, I don't even know, I don't know what they're doing. They're just straight up projecting based on hype without ever having seen them do anything, all right? Like it's it's crazy. Like they they said, hey, slow down the JT Daniels height, but we're gonna we're gonna pump up CJ Stroud and Bryce Young based on nothing other than hype. There's no data to go off of at all. We're just gonna say these guys are gonna be better because 
we've heard they're really good. So it's just that inconsistency. That's what drives me crazy. Hey, if you believe something, go with it. But you gotta be consistent. That is a pet peeve of mine. Like if you have certain beliefs, cool man, you do you. Argue it, make your point. But it's the inconsistency, that hypocrisy, that's what gets to me. And that's what leads me to be very, very skeptical of what you say in general. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. But let's talk about Jake Daniels here. That's the core of this uh, of this show, and that's the reason I want to come on here. I wanted to address their take on J on JT Daniels. Now, in their defense of his ranking, so what they did basically is they listed all these guys out and they gave a, a brief little blurb to kind of defend their ranking or justify their ranking or explain their ranking for each of these guys. And in their defense or explanation of JT Daniels' ranking coming at number twenty three overall in the preseason, they opened the the uh, little blurb by saying the first sentence quote. The JT Daniels Heisman hype may need to be tempered just a bit. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Because I actually think that's a fair statement. I really do. I do think it's fair to say that we have overhyped JT Daniels' performance at the end of 2020 a little bit, at least a little bit. And we've done that for a number of reasons. It's, it's kind of understandable. A big part of it was... Obviously, the quarterback issues that we had at the beginning of last season that we all well know were, I mean, for all practical purposes, the fatal flaw for last year's team. I mean, without the quarterback issues we had the first six games of the year, first month and a half of the year, we might be in the playoff. Like, our defense was as good as anybody in the country last year. We had a great group of running backs when George Pickens was healthy. We were as good as any, I don't want to say we necessarily we were as good as anybody, but we could have been in the college football playoff. When you saw what we were able to do against Alabama in the first half with Stetson Bennett. So I think the fact that we saw so many, so much of the, the so many of the issues that we had last year were quarterback related, we were just so starved for something better, anything better than what we saw the first half this season. And when that's the case, when you're that starved for something, you are just more prone to overreact when things do start to improve. It's just kind of human nature. I'll use the college football example here. It's, it's like Tennessee fans or, or Texas fans. That might even be a better example. I think about Tennessee fans and Texas fans. 
Think about when they, every time they get like a halfway decent win, think about how they overreact, right? We're back. Uh, well, no, you're not. Right? Okay, think about Texas. Yeah, they beat us in the Sugar Bowl a couple years ago. All right, cool. In a, in a bowl game where a bunch of our best players weren't playing, you beat us. Tip my cap to you. Great job. But what is Sam Ellinger going to do at the end of that game with the trophy presentation? Well, he got on the microphone and says, we're back. And then what happened to Texas after that? They went back to who they were. They were not back, but they overreacted because they hadn't gotten wins like that very often. So they get one of them and like, oh my God, we're back. And Tennessee's kind of the same thing to a lesser degree. But that's that's kind of what I'm talking about here. And I think it's fair to say that maybe, potentially, we've done that a little bit with JT Daniels. And I think that's okay to admit that. I think it's okay to admit that. And then on top of that, we also had the memory, of course, of Justin Fields and, and having him and letting him slip through our fingers. And people are still bitter about that and frustrated about that. And I get that. We want a guy like that. We want another guy like that. We want our guy. And, and we've also seen how important the quarterback position has become in football in general and how the best teams have the best quarterback. So, hey, here's our guy. We got one of those guys now, too. And then, of course, he starts out with a bang, becoming the first Georgia quarterback under Kirby Smart to throw for 400 yards in a game in his very first game as a Georgia Bulldog, in his first start against Mississippi State. So I think it's fair to say, or at least to argue, that all those things kind of combined and, and led us to maybe potentially overreact a little bit to JT Daniels' performance the last four games of the season. I think that's fair to at least argue. And honestly, an objective look at JT Daniels last year, his performance last year, it reveals that no, he no, he wasn't perfect. He was he wasn't. And there are clearly some areas where he needs to improve. I'll give you a couple of them here. Now, JT was fantastic in that Mississippi State game. We do not win that game without him. If we had stuck with Stetson Bennett, if he was healthy to play in the game, we're probably not winning that game because what Mississippi State did, I'll give him credit, they were smart. They dared JT to beat them. And he absolutely did. He was spectacular. They said, hey, okay, you haven't played a game since September 2019. All right, well, we're going to force you to beat us. We're not going to let Georgia's run game beat us. They dared him to do it. And he did it. Again, he was spectacular in that game. 74% completion percentage, 401 yards passing. First quarterback in the Kirby Smart era to throw for over 400 yards. Four touchdowns, no interceptions. Made big time throw after big time throw. Down the field, opened up our, our down the field passing, our vertical passing game. And it was a beautiful sight to see. We all lost our minds over that. Now, we weren't, I wasn't thrilled about the way that game played out. It was too close for comfort. But JT's performance there was a sight for sore eyes. Like it was for pretty much everyone in the Georgia fan base. And he was good in the other games after that. Against South Carolina, against Missouri, against Cincinnati in the Peach Bowl. Now, he did struggle quite a bit in the first half versus Missouri. But he really came back strong in the second half. But regardless, in those last three games, he completed at least 60% of his passes in all three of those games. He threw for six touchdowns, two interceptions over those, over those last three, 10.1 yards per attempt. So there was a lot of good, a lot of things to be excited about, a lot of things to get hyped about leading into next year. But there were also, if you watch closely enough and you try to be objective, there were some signs of things he needed to work on, some areas he needed to improve. Now, he absolutely flashed the deep ball accuracy in that first game against Mississippi State. But I think if you're being objective, if you really watch closely, and I've gone back and watched every game multiple times this offseason, he was quite erratic down the field in the three games after that first start against Mississippi State. And as far as I'm concerned, 
all of that was really mechanical issues. It was mechanical issues with his lower body. Now, I, I will admit, I am far from a quarterback mechanic expert. I've never been a quarterback coach in my life, never will be a quarterback coach in my life. But I've been around football enough and I know enough, I've heard enough, I've seen enough that when I'm watching him, you can tell there are issues. And if you watch him closely enough, what you see, again, not a quarterback coach expert, but what you see there is he tends to lock his plant leg. When he's throwing those deep balls, he kind of locks that plant leg when it hits the ground and he kind of puts all his weight on his back leg and kind of gets up on his tiptoes, which kind of leads his entire upper body to lean backwards and puts him off balance. And he's and this doesn't allow him to step into those throws. Now, I don't know where you're listening to this show right now, but if you are in a position to do it right now, try this. Try a, Stand up, try a throwing motion where you lock the front leg but you're putting the weight on the back leg. Where is that ball going? Where is your body pointing? It's straight up in the air. That's why you tended to see his balls hang up in the air and get lost up there at times. I'll give you a couple throws just off the top of my head here. Think about the peach bowl, all right? In the second quarter, Arian Smith had about five, six steps on a defender. I mean, it's an easy touchdown, easy touchdown. Just put the ball out there and let the guy go get it. But he underthrew him so badly because he got so much air under that ball. He locks the front leg, puts all the way on that back leg. He's looking straight up the sky. It's almost like he's shooting an arrow, like straight up in the sky. I want to see if it comes straight back down. That's kind of what it looks like. And that ball just got hung up in the air. And it, allowed the, it allows the defender to catch up. The ball ends up being short. It kind of just hangs around. And also, if, it's, if you're playing outdoors, which that game wasn't, obviously, but playing outdoors gets hung up the elements like that. If it's windy, that's, man, you're, you're game over. That's not going to work out well at all. So, and that was the throw he missed. That's a touchdown. It's an easy touchdown. Easy touchdown. And then later in that game, late in that game, actually, in the Peach Bowl, Jermaine Burt, remember we were trying to come back and tie the game? We ran a play down the sideline to Jermaine Burt, which I didn't think we would do, but we took a shot down the field with him, and he was open, man. He had a couple of steps. He turns around, I mean, it's like, oh my God, it's a touchdown, it's a touchdown, it's a touchdown, we're going to win this game. So we're going to win this game right now. But the ball got, it was, there was so much air under it with the poor mechanical issues, and it just kind of, he, he it got so high in the air that no one knew where the ball was. The cameraman didn't know where the ball was, Jermaine Burton didn't know where the ball was, and it kind of lands and it's not even close to him. Those kind of things cannot happen. When you have receivers who are running wide open down the field with multiple steps on defenders, we're talking about easy layup touchdowns. You got to hit those. Now he hit those against Mississippi State. He hit those a couple of times in the other three games, but there were too many times where he did not. And that's where it kind of that's where I'm talking about like him being a little bit erratic down the field. I would say more than a little bit erratic down the field with some of those vertical shots those last three games. He was lights out in that first game, but there were some signs of him needing to improve on that in those last three games. I don't know if it was a neat thing where he just wasn't comfortable there, that it didn't have the strength it needed. I don't know. Maybe it was, and likely it probably has something, at least something to do with it. But here's the weird thing. He did not do that all the time on those deep throws. He didn't. Sometimes he would actually use the right mechanics. It was just more often than not, he would revert back to those poor mechanics where he locks that front leg and puts his weight on his back foot. And it was also really only on the deep throws that he did that, where he was trying to get more on. If he's still in the short intermediate, you didn't really see him do that. So I think that's something he can improve because again, he didn't do it all the time. He did it right some of the time. He's just got to do that more consistently. And again, it was only on those deep throws. So that's one area he really needs to improve. I can admit that. Another area where I think he needs to improve 
is he's got to be better under pressure. And I'm not talking about necessarily when teams blitz. I actually thought he was good when teams blitzed and didn't get to him. When he saw them blitzing, he diagnosed it. He saw where it was coming from, and we picked it up on the offensive line. He has a high football IQ. It's one of the strengths of his game. He generally knew where to go with the ball in those situations. But he really struggled when the pocket wasn't clean, when those blitzers actually got to him, got past our offensive line and pressured him. His clean pocket grade was elite. According to Pro Football Focus, again, I know I laid up my numbers, take this a grain of salt, but according to Pro Football Focus, his clean pocket grade, whatever that means, however they measure that, because I don't know, I don't know, be skeptical, but their clean pocket grade was a 91.9 for JT Daniels. That's very high. But that passing grade dropped to 49.1 when pressured. And I put, I do put some stock into those numbers because it plays out when you go back and watch. It matches what you see when you watch the games. It matches the eye test. And really what I think he was doing in those situations is I think he was pressing. I don't necessarily want to say that he panicked in those situations. I think he was just trying to make too much happen in those scenarios. And we're talking about a guy that was on a bum knee last year, right? So he would far too often when he was feeling the pressure like that, he would try to escape and make something happen instead of eating it or checking it down. And he paid for it a couple of times. It almost really cost us against Cincinnati. Remember that one of those fumbles he had? I mean, I, I, kept, I remember watching the game when it happened live. I'm like, just take the sack. Eat the ball. Take the sack. But no, he just kind of ran around aimlessly with no idea what he was doing. And he's not that kind of quarterback. I think he's functionally mobile in the pocket. I think he moves pretty well in the pocket. He actually throws really well on the run. But he's not like Trevor Lawrence going to go out there, make some plays with his legs. Justin Fields can go out there and do that kind of thing. He's not going to go burn you with his legs consistently. So sometimes it's almost like just JT, just take the take the sack and live to fight another day. Don't turn the ball over. And it really almost cost us against Cincinnati. You don't want those things to happen. He's got to clean that up. So there are clearly some things that he needs to clean up and improve on. But let's also, at the same time, Let's also not go all revisionist history here like Pro Football Focus did. Let's also remember and acknowledge that our offensive production skyrocketed under JT Daniels once he took over as our starting quarterback going into that Mississippi State game. All right, let's, and I've thrown these numbers out there a couple of times before, but I'll throw them out there again just to add some context to this conversation. So before JT Daniels, in the six games before he took over as our starting quarterback, we averaged 382 yards per game offensively. 382 total yards. In the final four games of the season with JT Daniels under center, our offensive production went up to 486 yards per game. Over 100 yards per game more in the four games that JT Daniels was our starting quarterback. In at least two of those games, we were just trying to get, we, we've got a big lead in the second half and we're just trying to get out of there with a win, especially in South Carolina. We could have put up 800 yards, I feel like, on that, in that game, but we did because we were just trying to run the clock out basically the entire second half. But still, over 100 yards more per game with him as our quarterback. 300-yard passing games. Now, JT had one game where he threw for 299, but come on, I'm just going to call that a 300-yard passing game. 299, 300, what's the difference, right? So I'm going to call that a 300-yard passing game. So if we call that a 300-yard passing game, that's three 300-yard passing games out of his four starts. You guys know how many 300-yard passing games we had before JT took over? Yeah, those of you who said zero, you guessed right. Zero, nada, zilch, none. Zero 300-yard passing games before JT took over. Three in four games once he took over. 
All right, yards per attempt. Before JT Daniels, 6.7 yards per attempt. That's about as pedestrian as, in fact, that was that's below average. not even pedestrian, that's below average. With JT in his four starts, that number goes up to 10.2 yards per attempt. So even though he did have some issues with his consistency on deep throws vertically down the field, he was still far more effective than any quarterback that we have prior to him. Really, what, who are we talking about? We're talking about Stetson and Dewan Mathis, right? All right, points per game. We averaged 29 points per game before JT took over. After JT took over in his four games, 37.2 points per game. More than a touchdown difference in JT's four starts. Yards per play. We averaged 5.4 yards per play offensively before JT Daniels, up to 7.5 yards per play in JT's four starts. That's more than two full yards per play. That is insane. That is a massive jump, all right? So are we just saying... Is Pro Football Focus just saying it's entirely coincidental that our offensive numbers just went up across the board when JT Daniels took over? Or is it maybe just a little bit more likely that JT Daniels, oh, I don't know, may have just had a little bit of something to do with that, but there was absolutely no mention of his impact on our offense in their piece. When they were trying to, to defend their ranking of him at number 23 overall, in their quarterback rankings, there was no mention of the impact that he had on our offense last year. Why wasn't there any mention of that? Because it didn't fit their narrative. It didn't fit what they were trying to sell. And what about context? What about the context around all this? What about the fact that JT played at that level and had that type of impact on our offense while he was clearly still not 100% coming off that knee injury? And also, leading into the Mississippi State game, he had basically not practiced with the number one offense since fall camp, up until that first start against Mississippi State. He was working with the scout team. Remember all that talk last year, guys, when Kirby was asked about JT every single press conference? Well, what did he always say? Oh, yeah, he's doing a great job working with the scout team. If you don't know what that means, what that means is that JT was running other teams' plays trying to get our defense ready to play that week. He wasn't even taking reps with our offense. He wasn't running our offensive plays for the first month and a half of the season. You only have so many reps to go around. The quarterback, the starting quarterback is about 80 to 85% of those reps. And your backup, your your, first, your number one backup gets like the rest of those. And then maybe your number three guy gets you know a handful here and there when you, when you can, but very rarely. Those reps were going to Stetson Bennett and Dwan Mathis. So he essentially came into that Mississippi State game almost cold turkey with two weeks under his belt of working with our offense and getting reps of the ones and twos. And he still put up the biggest passing day for a Georgia quarterback statistically in the Kirby Smart era. Oh, and yeah, by the way, as I said earlier, that game against Mississippi State was his first actual game action since September 2019, almost 15 months between games played for JT Daniels, coming off a catastrophic, as he even classified, he said himself, a catastrophic knee injury. So imagine what he's going to be able to do now that he is healthy, now that he has gotten a full offseason of reps under his belt as the unquestioned QB1 for this team, and that he has now been able to shake all of that rust off not playing for 15 months. But absolutely none of that context was laid out in this pro football focus article. Not a sniff of it. Nowhere to be found. 
There is a name for it. When you leave out data, when you leave out information and context like that to get the result that you've already preconceived in your mind. It's called confirmation bias. And that article screams of that. And like the guy who wrote it, it's a guy who gets credit for it, is a guy named Anthony Trash, I think is how you pronounce the last name. I don't know him. Don't know much, really anything about the guy other than he writes for Pro Football Focus. Never heard of him before. But with the obvious cherry picking of data and the ignoring of context as I just laid out, it's really just hard for me to believe that there isn't some other agenda there. And I don't know what it could be. I don't know, like whether it's a trying to get clicks thing, a clickbait thing, or just a, hey, I made my mind about JT Daniels when he was a freshman at USC and I'm sticking to it thing. Maybe it was that kind of thing. I don't know. He just, he made up his mind a couple years ago and just wants to be right. You know, some people do that. They just, they make up their mind about a guy and that guy can never change. He just is what he was in their mind and nothing can change that. Maybe it was part of that. I don't know. But whatever it was, it just seems that there's pretty clearly some shade of bias there, especially when you consider some of the quarterbacks that Anthony Triash has ranked ahead of JT Daniels in his quarterback rankings. I mean, look, as I said earlier, I can live with someone saying that they need to see more from JT. I can live with that. I would like to see more from there. As I laid out, there are things I think he needs to improve on. And I can live with someone ranking him outside the top five or even the top 10 quarterbacks in FBS. I think you can make an argument for that, at least a reasonable argument. There are things he needs to work on. Honestly, I, I want to see. I want to see a larger sample size, and I want to see him address some of those issues that I laid out earlier. I want to see that. But dear God, let's look at some of the quarterbacks that Anthony Triash has ranked ahead of JT Daniels. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Let's go down this list. I'm, I'm literally, I'm going to go down the list one through 23 until we get to JT. And let's look at all these guys here. Let me pull this up. So, starting at number one, We've got Oklahoma's Spencer Rattler. Okay, I can live with that. That's fine. I can buy that. I can go with that. Now, I will say Spencer Rattler the first half of the year was very different from Spencer Rattler the second half of the year. He was a first-year starter, so it makes sense that he's going to improve, and he did improve a lot as the season went on. I've said before, I'm a believer in Oklahoma this year. I think that they are a prime contender to win a national title right now. I mean, honestly, I would have them ranked in the probably the top two coming in the preseason. I think they're going to be that good. I'm really high on Oklahoma this year. And Spencer Rattler is a big part of that. He did get benched in their biggest game of the year against Texas in the Red River rivalry. But he came back in later in the game, led them to the victory. So yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. Him being ahead of JT, that I can live with. That makes sense. That's reasonable, right? All right, number two, Sam Howell of North Carolina. Absolutely reasonable. I mean, I, I, would, I would honestly, I would have Sam Howell ahead of JT Daniels. I think I think Sam Howell is very, very, very good. He is extraordinarily good at throwing the deep ball. Yes, he has some great receivers to work with last year, but most quarter, most really good quarterbacks do, right? It's hard to put up really good numbers if you don't have any good receivers. But Sam Howell, I think, is legit. I think he's the real deal. I think he'll be a very, very early first-round draft pick. So I'm fine with that, all right? 
Number three, De'Eric King. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with that. De'Eric King, I, especially when you add in like his running ability, that's fine. I can go with that. JT in a lot of the categories, even Pro Football, Pro Football Focus's own numbers, put up better numbers than, or put up better grades than De'Eric King did. But more of a sample size, I'm fine with that. I can live with that. All right, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I think it's reasonable, right? All right, coming in at number four, UCF Dylan Gabriel. All right, well, that's a, mm, I don't know. Um, it's a level of competition differential there, for sure. JT's numbers in a lot of the categories that Pro, Pro, Pro Football Focus puts out data in were very comparable, if not better, than Dylan Gabriel. Now, Dylan Gabriel, he runs an offense, puts up a lot of numbers, throws the ball a lot, all those things. But I don't know. I mean, like, I would put JT ahead Dylan Gabriel, but I'm not going to make a big fuss about that because I think Dylan Gabriel is a very good quarterback, puts a lot of numbers for them. He's very efficient. Uh, can be explosive down the field. So yeah, Dylan Gabriel, like it's not unreasonable to say that he might be ranked a little bit higher than JT. That's fine. I wouldn't put him there, but again, reasonable minds can disagree on something like that. Now, number five, this one, no way. No way. Indiana's Michael Penix Jr. I know Indiana was a fantastic story last year. Very good story, right? But did people actually watch the games? Penix was extraordinarily inconsistent. Extraordinarily inconsistent. Now they won some big games. It's kind of like, you talk about hype, all right, they're going to kill JT Daniels for the hype train. What are we doing, Michael Penix? That's absolutely a hype train. Indiana has never really been good. They had a really good season last year. They had that big win the first week of the year against, against Penn State. He was a big part of that. But if you look at other games of the year, he was average in multiple games throughout the year. All right, he, he really, really was. I watch a ton of college football. I don't just watch Georgia. Obviously, that's my pride and joy. That's what I, I watch first and foremost, but I watch a lot of college football, and I watched a number of Indiana games last year, and I wasn't overly impressed with Michael Penix Jr. And again, if you look at even pro football folks' own numbers, their own data, right? The stuff that they put out, JT Daniels' numbers, his grades, according to pro football focus, we're better almost across the board than Michael Penix. Yet Michael Penix is ranked number five? JT's number 23. Yeah, I know Penix does more with his legs. I'll grant you that, but that much differential where he's going to be number five in your rankings? JT's number 23? That makes absolutely no sense. Get out of here with that, all right? All right, let's go to number six here. All right, number six, they've got Matt Crow, Ole Miss. I can live with that. Matt Crow had a really bad game against Arkansas. I think he threw six picks against Arkansas last year, but he was really, really good the rest of the year. Uh, I'm fine with that. Matt Corral, I think you make a very strong argument that he should be ahead of JT, or at least right in the, in the same ballpark there. I'm okay with that. Number seven, Coast Carolina, Grayson McCall. I mentioned that one earlier. Grayson McCall did some good things as a young quarterback for Coastal Carolina, but again, you got to factor in the competition here, man. You just got to. I know they, oh, they beat BYU. Cool. Awesome. All right, who else did you beat? All right, who else did you beat? Nobody. Now, Grace McCall, they, they kind of run a, a spread option offense, so his legs factor in there as well. But his legs factor in so much that he's going to be ranked seven while JT's 23. He's going to be 16 spots ahead of him. I mean, come on. Come on. You're just trying to be outlandish just to be outlandish, just to be different. That's all that is. That's all that is. All right, number eight, Clemson, DJ Uwe Ungalale. Now, we have talked about this before on the show. I got the numbers for you right here. These are pro football focuses own grades. This is the data that they produce, they put out, all right? Overall pro football focus grade, JT 88.3 last year, DJU 71. Drop back grade, drop back passing grade, JT 90.3, DJU 78. Clean pocket rate, 
Clean pocket drop back passing, I guess what they would say. 91.9 for JT, 78 for DJ Uyunglele. Uh, great under under pressure. Now, this is where DJ Uyunglele was better than him. 67.7% or 67.7 overall grade. JT, 49.1. Give one to, to DJ U there, right? So what about passing grade on passes of 10 plus yards down the field? JT Daniels, 92.9 grade. DJU 85 big time throw rate again whatever a big time throw is I don't even really like this stack I don't know what I don't know what constitutes a big time throw but according to the Pro Bowl Focus the big time throw rate JT 8.7% DJU 4.0% doubled him up there average depth of target 12.7 for JT DJU 7.4 it's not even close D DJ wasn't coming close trying to push the ball down the field like JT was turnover worthy throws uh, JT at 4.4%, DJU at zero, although he only played two games. So I don't know, kind of a wash there. But again, pretty much across the board there, with a few minor exceptions, JT had better numbers by pro football folks' own calculations. Yet JT's at number 23 and DJ's at number eight. I, I can't make sense of that. It's nonsensical. <laughs> That's the only thing you can say. It's just flat out nonsensical, all right? All right, number nine, Miles Brennan, LSU. I thought he did a good job before he got hurt. But again, JT had better numbers, better grades, according to Pro Football Focus's own numbers, almost across the board than Miles Brennan in, in a similar sample size of starts last year. Uh, then we go to number 10. Ah, Keaton Slovis, the guy who, I guess, replaced, took, took that job from JT, if you want to say that. Well, Keaton Slovis coming at number 10. I thought he's a pretty good quarterback. I thought he had a little bit of a sophomore slump last year. But JT's numbers, again, were better across the board when it comes to his grades on pro football folks. Almost across the board. All right, well, let's go next here. Number 11, Carson Strong, Nevada. I don't know, man. Honestly, I've never watched Carson Strong play. I don't. I can't really speak to that. I just, I'm skeptical of that just by the fact that he plays in Nevada and the competition there. But I haven't really seen him play, so I can't really speak on that too much. Same thing with Dustin Crum from Kent State. I just, I don't know, man. You should feel like if you're better, you're probably going to be playing somewhere else. You can factor in competition, things like that. But I don't want to be that simplistic about it. I haven't seen those guys play, so I don't really have an informed opinion on them. Same thing with number 13, Arkansas State, Lane Hatcher. Actually, it was at Alabama. Uh, walked on Alabama, then transfers out Arkansas State, put up some big numbers there. Uh, number 14, this one's insane. This one's insane. Emory Jones. It's nothing but a complete and utter projection. That's a projection. And I don't know what that's even based on, all right? I don't, it's not based on anything. It's what they think. And I guess when you come to rankings, that's fine in preseason rankings. A lot of it is based off what you think. But when you when you say that JT's at number 23, because his, this number wasn't good enough. That number was, wasn't good enough. It was too low. Too many turnover-worthy throws. Not enough big-time throws. Bad under pressure. If you're using numbers to say, well, you know what? We don't like him as much, but you're using nothing to justify why you have Emory Jones ranked that high. I just, I can't give you any credit on that. Emory Jones has thrown for 600 yards in his career. JT threw for over 401 game last year. I just, I don't know. Yes, Emory Jones is a good runner. Cool, awesome. But again, does that compensate for that much? I don't know. And maybe Emory Jones will be great. Maybe he will. We just don't know that. We know far more about JT, and he's he's far more of a proven commodity than Emory Jones can even dream of claiming to be. Just not even close. Not even close. Uh, let's go to number 15. Another, I'm high on this guy, Connor Bazelak from Missouri, but we're putting him ahead of JT Daniels right now? Based on what? Can't be on, on production. Certainly not on production, because if you're going on production, again, even by pro football folks' own grades, and this is, why, this is the inconsistency I'm talking about. They're using their own grades saying, well, this guy's better than JT Daniels. 
even though JT's grades on their own site are better essentially across the board. There's just no consistency there. I, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, number 16, oh my God. Mackenzie Milton. Mackenzie Milton, the head of JT Daniels at number 16. Seven spots head of JT Daniels. Guys, Mackenzie Milton once upon a time was a really good quarterback. But Mackenzie Milton's leg fell off. All right, his leg fell off. And he hasn't played a football game since 2019. But we're ranking him ahead of JT Daniels. with a, And he's on a new team with a, in a new system. Uh, okay? I, I don't know how you defend that. I honestly don't know how you defend that. Uh, number 17, Iowa State, Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy is a solid player. And he gets a lot of love because he's kind of been the quarterback when Iowa State's kind of had this resurgence. Or I shouldn't say resurgence. They've kind of elevated their program. It can be a resurgence if you've never really been good in your in the history of your program. So I guess it's an elevation of the program. He's been the quarterback. He's had a lot to do with that. But Brock Purdy is not a great quarterback. He does some good things. He can make some plays happen with his legs. He can extend plays. But that's a, I mean, that's an offense that runs a lot of 13 personnel. They are built to run the football, right? That's what they're built to do. And honestly, I don't think that having Brock Purdy at 17 is a bad rating for him. I just don't think he should be ahead of JT Daniels. He's done nothing to prove that he is a better quarterback than JT Daniels. Again, his numbers are not even close. His pro football focus grades. If we're going, and I'm just going by pro football focuses grades because they're the ones who put out this article and this and this set of rankings. If we're using their own stats, their own data, their own numbers that they publish, Brock Purdy's numbers, his grades are not even close, just not even in the same ballpark as JT Daniels. Just not. So again, no consistency there. Number 18, Virginia's Brennan Armstrong. I actually think Brennan Armstrong is pretty good. I think he's a really good runner. I think he's an underrated passer. It's a weird throwing motion, but he can do some things at, at the quarterback position. I think 18 is a good spot for him. I just, again, I just don't think he should be ahead of JT Daniels. Uh, Malik Willis at Liberty, probably going to be a first round draft pick. I think he's a really good player. I'm okay with him being inside the top 20. I just, I would probably have JT ahead of him. But it, honestly, if you wanted to argue that Malik Willis should be ahead of JT, I wouldn't kill you over that. I would point to the level of competition and say, I want to see him do it against better competition. And if he does it this year, I think they play definitely, they go to Ole Miss would be a heck of a game to watch. Okay. And well, Ole Miss's defense is terrible. So I don't know how much competition that is, but I just, I have some skepticism there, but he's a good quarterback. I did watch him play a couple times last year. He's very impressive. Now here's another one that's just insane. Number 20, CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud, who's probably going to be Ohio State's quarterback this year. But the thing is, we don't even know if he's going to win that job. There's a couple of guys contending for that job. Now he's probably the front runner, but we don't know that he's even going to win that job. This guy has taken a grand total of zero snaps at the college level. Zero. Zero drop back to the college level. But apparently, according to Pro Football Focus, Anthony Triash, he's better than JT Daniels. I, I just, there's there's nothing to go off of there. There's li- That's just 100% of projection. 100% of projection. JT's infinitely more proven than CJ Stroud. That's an absolute joke. It's an absolute joke. Could CJ Stroud be great? Absolutely could be. But we're talking about preseason rankings? Come on. Come on, man. Come on with that. All right, Wake Forest, number 21, Sam Hartman. I think Sam Hartman's a pretty good quarterback. I mean, I think JT Daniels is clearly better. If you look at it, again, go back, look at the rankings, or looking at their, uh, his, their grades on pro football focus, and it's really just not close. Almost across the board, JT has better pro football focus grades than Sam Hartman, but somehow Hartman's ahead of him. Hartman's a good quarterback. 21 sounds about right for him, but I just, I can't, I can't, get over JT being all the way down to 23. And then finally, the last guy right before JT Daniels is Bryce Young from Alabama. I mean, okay, I, I know he's really hyped up. This is another one like CJ Stroud. 
And like Emory Jones, it's just 100% a straight-up projection. Bryce Young has a total of 22 college passes, all in garbage time, all completed 59% of those passes in garbage time last year. And I'm not even going to draw conclusions off of that time for Bryce Young. I'm not going to sit here and say Bryce Young was terrible last year or something. I mean, how do we know? 22 total passes, all garbage time, we don't know. And that's the thing. How can you put him ahead of a guy like JT Daniels who did what JT did at the end of last year and was able to have that much of an impact on our offense, our overall offensive production. I just, I don't know how you can argue that. Could Bryce Young end up being better than JT by the end of the year? Sure, absolutely. Very well could be. But we don't know that right now. There's nothing, literally nothing to go off of there. So what is the moral of the story here? The moral of the story for me is that no, JT Daniels was not perfect last year. He clearly has things he need to he needs to improve on. He emphatically can get better. And I myself am not ready to call him a Heisman contender just yet. I'm not. I need to see it in a larger sample size. I need to see him correct some of the issues from last year if he truly wants to be elite. He, he played at a really high level last year for us, but it wasn't an elite level. There's, there's another gear he can take it to. Absolutely there is. But our offense also improved dramatically as soon as he was inserted as the starter. He put up the best numbers of a Georgia quarterback under Kirby Smart on a bum leg with minimal reps with the with the number one offense and in a brand new offense with no offseason to get acquainted with it. Both things can be true. It can be true that JT has some things he needs to improve on. It can also be true that JT was really good last year, especially considering the context and that he had a dramatically positive impact on our offensive production. Both of those things can be true. And I'm okay with Pro Football Focus calling JT out and saying, hey, he's got some things he's got to work on because I think he does too. What I'm not okay with is only looking at that side of things and not talking about what he did well. He throws extraordinarily well on the run. He's in command out there, has a high football IQ. He's decisive with the football. He knows where to go. He understands defensive coverages. He understands offensive football. While it may have been inconsistent at times, he has shown the ability to push the ball vertically and make an impact in the vertical passing game. He does a lot of things really well, and our offense really, really thrived with him at quarterback. They just didn't mention any of those things. They were only showing you one side of the picture. They weren't showing you the other side. They weren't really paying any attention to the data or the facts that would go against what argument they were trying to make, right? So yeah, while it's fair to question whether he's a top five quarterback or whatever, top five, top 10, it's fair to question that coming into this season. But putting him at number 23, buying players that have never played or never taken a meaningful snap in their lives at the college level and buying other quarterbacks who grade out with inferior numbers in the publication's own proprietary stats. Well, as I said earlier, that betrays either a complete and utter ignorance of the sport of football, some sort of inherent bias against JT Daniels, or just a commercial desire to say something outlandish to gain attention and garner clicks. And the truth is, it's probably a combination of all three. But regardless, this was a hatchet job on JT Daniels. And again, like I said at the outset of the show, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of the world. That's not going to win us or lose us any games. It's not going to do anything like that. Normally, I just let things like this go. You guys do. There's a lot of things that all these national talking heads say about Georgia football and our players that I don't even bother to address on this show. I rarely do this. But sometimes you see something just so outlandish and just so indefensible that you got to come on here and defend your guys. And like I said, like there are things JT needs to work on. I'm trying to be as objective as I can here. I try to be objective. I know I'm a George guy. I own that. I own that. 
But at the same time, I try to be objective. I try to call it how I see it. And there are some things he's got to improve on. He's got to get better. I don't think he was truly elite last year. I think he can be. He showed signs of that, but he wasn't last year, not completely. But he also wasn't the 23rd best quarterback in the country coming in this year. That's that's not where JT is. That's ridiculous. That's straight up foolishness. And sometimes you just got to call foolishness out. But all right, guys, that does it for me today here on the Glory UGA podcast. I know I kind of messed the schedule up a little bit. We'll get back on track later on this week. But again, I tried to come on here and address that on the show. So I appreciate you guys allowing me the opportunity to kind of just vent a little bit here. Again, I don't do this very often, but sometimes things just get to you and you just got to do it every now and then. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Be back later in the week with my top 10 most wanted recruits list. Have that for you guys by the end of the week. Thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't yet, help us out with that. That would be so awesome. We'd be so appreciative of that. Help us out there with a rating and review. That really helps the show. But thanks for listening, guys. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>